want to read from the book of 2 Samuel. I'll read from the New Living Translation. 2 Samuel chapter number 4 and verse number 4. 2 Samuel is easy to find. It's just between Genesis and Revelation. You'll find it very fast. Amen. If you're there, say amen. If you're still looking at it, please just say wait. <laughs> All right, for those who didn't carry their Bibles, I know we'll be able to get the scriptures on our screen. But this is what the New Living Translation says. Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. Mother Lord bless the reading of his word. Would you please turn to that neighbor and just tell them, neighbor, neighbor. I have ever been dropped. I have ever been dropped in my life. But I'm still here. I want to speak on the subject dropped, but I'm still here. Dropped, but I'm still here. If you are by any chance a history student, you will realize that in the early centuries before Christ, it was customarily that whenever a ruler was defeated, his descendants and his family were to be killed, as well as any other person who was in their lineage or who was a successor to, to him. That particular lineage was totally was supposed to be totally annihilated so that there will be nobody else to ever continue with that legacy. And as you look at this scripture, I would want you in your own free time to just go and read it over and over again. As you keep on looking at this scripture, you realize this name Mephibosheth, who is Jonathan's child. That's the person that the nurse dropped as she hurriedly walked away. This young man was only five years old. And the nurse had this young boy in his arms. And she dropped him, not intentionally, but because she understood the history of what would happen. But in her haste just to be able to save the child and get him out of that dangerous place, she dropped him. And she dropped him in such a way that he became lame in both his feet. Mephibosheth would have been king, but he was lame in both his feet. He would have been a successor to the throne but he was lame in both his feet. He would have been living in the palace where David was living in, but he was lame in both his feet. He would have sat 
on his father's throne as a rightful heir, but he was lame in both his feet. He was dropped in such a manner that I believe anytime he would come across anybody who would dare to lift him up, he would not trust that particular individual. His drop meant that his trust was also dropped. At that tender age of five when he was not strong enough to flee from the world's pressures, somebody dropped him. Dropped by that one person in his life that he entrusted with for security and for support. That individual dropped him. And in a split of a moment, his life turned around totally. His life got shattered because of the drop. A limitation had been placed on his life as innocent as he was because of the drop. And this young boy lost something that is very, very dear to any child. He lost his ability to walk again. He lost his ability to play around with other kids right on the streets and on the compound like any other normal child would ever want to be. And that happened because someone dropped him. And today as I had the singers singing and declaring your grace is enough. That's the reason as to why I've come to tell you. You might have been dropped, but you're still here. I want to talk to some people who are seated here and they're saying, if it were not for that one drop, I would have been something in my life. I could have been somebody important, but someone dropped me. I want to talk to people who have found themselves in a situation whereby you know it wasn't your fault, but somebody that you entrusted dropped you. And they dropped you in such a way that they left you damaged for years. And I don't know whether I'm talking to real people in this place because there are a few of us, or if not many of us, who really understand what it means to be damaged for years. I don't know whether there is anyone here who knows what it means to be broken for years, to be mangled for years, to be crying for years, filling your pillow with tears in the middle of the night, and you don't have anyone to comfort you or to put their hands around you and to tell you it's going to be okay because someone dropped you. I don't know whether there's anybody here who knows or understands what it means to be traumatized for years because of the drop. Mephibosheth was that young man who was crippled both in his feet 
I believe he was crippled emotionally too. I believe this young man was not only physically crippled, but his strength was also crippled. His self-confidence was also crippled. His self-esteem was also crippled simply because someone dropped him. And many of us are in church and we know how to play church and we know how to, you know, give testimonies even when it's not there. But you are in this place and you're carrying a stigma. Something you're carrying in the inside of you. Each time your name is mentioned somewhere, your misfortune follows because of the drop. You are the kind of person that I've come to talk to. I don't know whether you've ever been in a church whereby you expect it to be a safe place for you. But anytime they talk about you or they mention your name, forgive me if your name is Joel, but let's say most probably they are talking about Joel and they are asking themselves, uh, have you been able to see Joel lately? And instead of just saying yes or no, the person begins to say, by the way, did you know that he also lost his job? Don't talk about having known where he is. But did you also know that he lost his job? And you're like, we, we only asked you whether you've been able to see Joel. We never asked you about his problem. Some of them would go ahead and say, in fact, after losing his job, I really wonder how he's dealing with his alcoholism. And you're like, I expected the church to be a place that would heal me, not a place that would kill me. I hope that it would be a safe haven. Have you seen Sharon of late? Oh, Sharon, did you know she moved in together with her parents because her husband left him? I really wonder whether he's got the grace and the courage to raise those four children. Because every time they mention your name, your misfortune follows. Your past keeps on following you wherever you go. And you wonder, is there anyone who is truly born again who can be able to see you for what you are and not for what happened? Because someone dropped you. And I know all of us who are seated in this place have got different stories. Right now, we are cool, calm, and collected. You know, we are well-groomed. Our hair is done. We are, so, we, are, we are groomed well. Our mascara is on. Our earrings are up there. And everything is okay. But if I give you just 60 seconds to ask your neighbor about his life or her life years ago, I am so sure without a shadow of a doubt that some of you will move to the next seat. Because they can't believe you did that and you're still seated next to them. Because all of us have got stories about that moment when nobody was looking, when no one was paying attention and they did something to you that has affected you up to now. 
and you're afraid that even in your old age, someone would still take advantage of you. Are you like that because someone dropped you because of their actions or their inactions? Thank God they dropped you, but you're still here. What do you do when the person you trusted, the person your parents trusted your life with, you know, he trusted your senior brother, he, you trusted your husband, you trusted your wife, you trusted that granny, you trusted that uncle with that very lovely baby part. They never took care of them. They dropped them or they dropped you. And they did it in such a way that you come to church not for salvation, but you come to church to numb your pain. And so you use the church as a spiritual crutch to move to the next step and you're hemorrhaging on the inside. Your joy is hemorrhaging, your peace is hemorrhaging and you're wondering, when will it ever stop? You're in a relationship, a new relationship, but when you hear the words of your partner, it reminds you of the pre previous relationship that you were in and you now want out again and you're like, will I ever find anyone who will love me for who I am instead of judging me and putting a lead on me, putting a limitation on me, saying stuff that are negative, ill wishes that are declared, and I feel like I will never amount to anything. You are in that space whereby you feel cheated. You feel like God doesn't care anymore simply because you are dropped. I've come to talk to real people because when you've been dropped hard enough and bad enough, sometimes you can't even talk about it. When you've been dropped bad enough, it shuts your mouth and you can't even tell those stories to anyone. You don't even want to testify about what God has done because of the damage that came through the drop. Have you ever gone through something that hurt you so badly that it shut your mouth? And anytime you want to verbalize it, you cannot do so because you are afraid of being judged. You are afraid of being talked about and so you internalize the pain. And you keep on crying by yourself and you internalize that pain and you don't have the words to communicate how you feel because you're in a space and a place whereby you feel like you've got nobody to trust. If someone comes close to you, they remind you of what happened and so you treat every other person that comes to you as the person who hurt you. And so you've shut yourself in. You're trapped in your own head, only remembering what you wish you could have been. And I don't know whether you've ever been in that place whereby you feel like 
with the drop, God kind of shortchanged you. And you're wondering, God, where are you? I thought you're a brother that sticks closer to another one. But, but where are you? How comes when I'm talking to you, I feel like my prayers are hitting the ceiling and then they're coming back to me because when I look at my life, nothing is changing and nothing is happening. It's just like I'm going through motion. I'm going through life. I'm growing in years, but I'm not growing economically. I'm stagnant because of the drop. You begin to say to yourself, what will people think when I tell them it wasn't my fault? What, what, what will people think when I tell them I wasn't born to be lame like this? You're afraid to talk about it because you're in a place whereby you are afraid of being judged and and you're like, what would they think if I tell them I wasn't born to be weak the way I am? I wasn't born to be incompetent the way I am. I, I wasn't born wanting to be afraid of everything and anything the way I am. I, I, I wasn't born to be a problem in the society. And it shuts your mouth. And it causes you to be unstable because someone dropped you. And there are people that I'm talking to this morning who are here and you're saying to yourself, if it were not for the drop, I would have been an academic dean somewhere. I would have been a professor somewhere. Most probably, I would have been a bank president in one of the prestigious banks, but someone dropped me. You would have been leading a team of experts. You would have been a scientist by now, an accountant. You would have been a leader. You would have been a preacher. You would have been a pastor like Pastor Mike here. You would have been extrapolating from the text and, you know, giving the proper exegetical approach of scriptures while you're speaking homiletically and hermeneutically. You would have been mentally astute, but someone dropped you when those dreams seemed to be shattered. And when someone has dropped you, you become so silent and your silence is as painful as the fall. But today, your being here is a clear indication that you can be able to break that silence. And that you can be able to move forward. I, 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 I know, I know being dropped has got repercussions left, right, and center. It lowers your self-esteem. I'm aware about that. You lose your sense of value. But this day, since his grace is enough, you can break that silence. You can break out of that place and move on. I just need to, to tell someone here that it's not your fault that you are molested when you were young. 
It, it's, it's not your fault that you're raped or abused verbally or physically. It's, it's, it's not your fault. And you don't need to keep on blaming yourself. It's not your fault that you grew up without a father. You grew up without a mother who would love you. It's, it's, it's not your fault at all. It's not your fault that you needed to raise yourself and in turn raise your own parents. It's not your fault that you grew up with nobody to give you guidance. Nobody to provide good education for you. It's, it's not your fault that you had no one to inspire you. No one to tell you you will make it. No one to tell you you are better than that. No one to tell you that you will go further in your life. No one to tell you or to build or to put some confidence in you. It's not your fault. All you've got to do is to begin to trust God with the process that you are in. And as you read the story of Mephibosheth, you'll begin to realize that there are some things that he did that stabilized his life. And even you can stand tall again and begin to proclaim the love of Jesus with confidence knowing what he has done in your life. The Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter number 9 and verse number 12 that Mephibosheth had a son called Micah. Wait, wait, wait a minute. But he was dropped and he was lame on his feet. But the Bible says he had a son. Oh my God, this, 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 this means that he had lived past his, his fall. This simply means that he refused to allow the lame part of him to speak to the living part of him. Yeah. He had a son. Some of you will get that tomorrow. His legs were lame, but his loins were not dead. Because you can be lame in one side, but fruitful in the other. That's what he realized. He did not allow his lame feet to speak to his future. Your drop should never determine what you will become in future. Your drop should be a reference point of where you came from. But you believe God for a better and brighter future ahead. Because it's better to fall in the hands of the master than to fall in the hands of men. What wasn't working should never be allowed to speak to the area that is working. He had a son. I needed to come here and to tell someone, refuse to conduct a benediction to your future because someone dropped you. Refuse to do that. Refuse to put a period where God just put a comma and begin to trust him. Thank God you're still here because grace is available for you. The book of 2 Samuel chapter number 9 verse 3 and 4 the Bible says the king then asked him is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, 
one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked in Lodibar. Zaiba told him, at, that, at the home of Makir, son of Amiel. I needed to get this point right now. Grace doesn't depend on the recipient. Grace is God's unmerited favor. You will notice that David said, is there not anyone that I can show the kindness of God? He never said, is there not anyone qualified? He never said, is there not anyone worthy? He just said, is there not anyone? And when Ziba informed David that he's crippled in both his feet, David didn't ask how badly is he crippled. Because David never thought that it would be useless to be around Mephibosheth. Instead he asked, where is he? And he sent for him. They said he lived in a place called Lodiba. Lodiba is a place that has got no, no pasture, a place of no communication, a place of no fruit. It's a place of poverty. And there are times when we've been dropped so badly, the people who handle our mess and our heartaches, instead of taking us at the feet of Jesus, they take us to Lodiba, a place where there's no communication, a place where there's no fruit, there's no growth. A place of poverty, yet you are royalty. You live beneath your privilege because you don't know who you are in God and whose you are. Amen. And so you live like a second class citizen in the kingdom of God because that's where people thought anyone dropped should go to. They say that they took him to the home of a man by the name Makir. Makir simply means sold, and maybe he felt like he had, his life had been sold out to someone else. Not his rightful father, not his rightful mother, not even with the nurse, because the story of the nurse is not mentioned again after he dropped this man, after he dropped this boy. He went and took him, she went and took him to Lodeba and then left. He felt like it was no longer his responsibility. Has someone ever told you you can do what you want to do with your life? You can mess up the way you want to mess up? It's not my responsibility. They've just thrown you into Lodepa. But the king asks, to whom can I show kindness from the house of Saul? Ziba knew that Mephibosheth was in Lodeba. And God also knows where you are. He knows you by your name. He knows your misfortunes. He knows your mistakes. He knows your pain. He knows what you've been going through in your life. He knows the moments when you, you felt you were inadequate. He knows the painful words that you said to yourself. 
He knows how you would cut yourself in the middle of the night by telling yourself you're useless and you're good for nothing. He knows where you are. But grace doesn't depend on the recipient. God's grace will still come after you. Because he knows your location. He knows where you are. Can I hear somebody say an amen? Number two, grace seeks us where we are at. It seeks you where you are. God's grace initiates the relationship. It's a gift from God. It initiates relationship. He doesn't wait for us to come around. No. In fact, you cannot even be able to come around to him. God seeks us and he finds us where we are and he refuses to judge us at our level. What he does is that he releases his grace and he takes away your pain because he desires to have a relationship with you. That's what David did. He sought out Mephibosheth. This cripple who did not deserve anything, was sought after by David's favor. Where is he? Mephibosheth never turned in an application to be considered for, the position, for a position in the palace. No, he never did that. In fact, he was hiding from the king because he thought the king would kill him. But grace sought him out. And I believe his grace, the way it's enough, it can seek you out. You cannot continue to hide in that pain. You cannot continue to wallow in the miasma of your own deceit or thinking that you will never go up. God's grace is available and it's seeking you out even right now. Amen. Number three, as I'm coming to a close, grace brings acceptance. It not only seeks you out, but it brings acceptance. In 2 Samuel 9, 7, the Bible says, Do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And this is because Jonathan and David had made a covenant in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 13, all the way through to 17. But Mephibosheth found that he was accepted by David. Because of the covenant that David made with his father Jonathan. Even so, God the Father made a covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ for his sake. To be able to show kindness to anyone that comes to him. Because grace brings acceptance. When people reject you. When society rejects you. When your own family rejects you. When your company rejects you, God will never reject you. God will pull you out. God will accept you. Because when he looks at you, he doesn't see a failure. When he looks at you, he sees a child of God. He sees a king's kid. When he looks at you, he sees someone who exactly looks like him. And so he cannot reject you. Come just as you are. You might have been dropped and messed up, but he still accepts you. His grace still accepts you. It doesn't matter how crippled you are. It doesn't matter how painful it has been. 
His grace still accepts you. You might have been dropped so badly, but he still loves you. He loves you just the way you are. The Bible says in Galatians chapter number 4, verse 4 to 7, but when the right time came, God sent his son born of a woman subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Because grace accepts you just the way you are. Child of God. Number four, grace brings blessings beyond measure. Even when you have been dropped, the blessings will come. Second Samuel chapter number nine, verse seven. I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather's soul. You'll still find that in Second Samuel chapter number nine, verse nine, all the way through to ten. You'll find it all. And the most beautiful thing, as you continue to read chapter number 9 of 2 Samuel, the man who talked about the condition of Mephibosheth is still the man who was asked to seek for him and also take care of Mephibosheth. The man who said you will never make it you will never amount to anything. You will never realize your dream. Your vision will never come to fruition. The man who castigated you, David, said, Ziba, you, together with your sons, your entire family, you will serve Mephibosheth. That's why my prayer is always not to allow my enemies to die. I want them to live long. So that they can see the table that will be prepared for me. That is called divine recompense. I don't want them to die. I want them to live for long. So that I become a testament of what God can do. With that which had been thrown out. And so this grace brings blessings to you as a child of God. Because God's grace does not withhold any blessing. That would be for our benefit. Regardless of what you went through. He says in Psalms 84, verse 11, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Because of that covenant that David made with Jonathan, Mephibosheth became a beneficiary of that covenant. Because of the covenant that God made with the Lord Jesus Christ concerning us, we as his children are beneficiaries of that covenant. Ah. A lot was restored to Mephibosheth. Land and assets, farms, produce, and pastures were restored to him. Authority and title was restored to him. In fact, the scripture says he was called Lord of the Manor. Manor means born into privilege. But his Hebrew name meant he was born into shame. 
But when grace finds you, it turns around your life. And you are no longer bringing shame, but you are bringing joy because of the covenant that was made. He lived in Lodabar as a second class citizen, but when grace found him, he had staff and servants that were serving him. His honor and position was restored. Wealth and provision was restored to him. Yet someone called Makir used to live with him. He, you know, Mephibosheth felt like he had been sold out. But wealth and provision, assets, equity, and farm income was restored to him. Acceptance and sonship was also restored. Servants and sons of the king allowed him to come and sit at the table. These are the blessings of the covenant that come by grace. There was value and honor that was restored to him. Seated daily at the king's table, regardless of his issue. His location changed. Moved to Jerusalem, the place of peace, which is the seat of power. Now in the house of his beloved friend David. Moved all the way from Lodeba, a place of no communication, a place of shame. A place, of, a place of no growth, a place of stagnation. His location changed. He now came and sat at a place of power. He now had access and proximity to the king's official and with the crowd. He would talk to them anytime. He had now hope in him because his expectations were restored for the future. That is what grace does to you. It brings blessings beyond measure to any child of God. God can locate you wherever you are because God is not limited by distance. God is not limited by whatever you've gone through. He can locate you and release the blessings to you that will come to you as a guided missile to your destination without it being redirected or going to your neighbor. They might pray to take over your blessings, but what God meant for you, no devil sent from hell can be able to pick it up from you. Grace brings blessings beyond measure. And so 2 Samuel 9, 13 says, So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame both in his feet. Let me finish with this. Grace brings communion with the king and his children. Ah. You see, Mephibosheth was lame, but when he came to the king's table, he sat where the other children sat, where Abinadab sat, where Absalom sat, all the beautiful children of the king, that's where he came and sought. And because grace brings communion, nobody would ever look at him and determine what he went through. Because grace covers and it brings us communion with the Father. Ah. I remember there's a time I had gone to preach in Jerusalem, and after preaching for seven days, uh, the pastor in Jerusalem told me, I want to give you a vacation all the way to Zanzibar. And we got into a cruise ship. And as we were in that cruise ship, there's a lady that came to me and said, Pastor Ken, you preached well. 
I'm like, where? He said, you, she said, you preached well in our church, and I'd like to invite you for dinner. I'm like, what is this single lady thinking about me? I rebuked her in my heart in the name of the Lord. I said, Satan, the Lord rebukes you. I'm like, why are you asking me that? And, 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 and she asked me, where, do you, where will you stay? And I gave her the name of the hotel. I'm like, I know them. These ones, I don't think they'll come. And so when I was seated right at the balcony, I see several limousines coming towards the hotel. And I stood up to check what was happening. And someone got out of the first vehicle so very fast, ran to the limousine and opened the door. And guess who came out? The lady who was asking me to go out with her. And I asked, went down and asked some few people, wait a minute, who's that lady? They said, that's the president's daughter. I went back to my room, removed the shorts and put on some nice pants and, and, and walked out of that place. I was now ready to be taken out for a dinner. But Pastor Mike, there's something that I realized. When you go to the president's house, where he is seated, it is difficult for you to reach him and to see the rest of the part of him. Because the table is so long and he can only talk to you from that end. You don't know whether he's lame. You don't know whether he's sick. And he could only say thank you for preaching to my daughter. I'll extend your stay in Zanzibar. Just tell me where you want to go. My daughter told me what you said while you're in church. And I kind of pictured Mephibosheth having come all the way from Lodebar and is now seated with the king at the same table. And whenever there's a good table, there are drapings all over. With those drapings, you can never tell the condition of that individual. Initially, he called himself a dog because he never felt like he was anything. And when he came before David, he fell down like a dog because he felt like that was his place. But grace brings communion. It brings you at the king's table. And when you are at the king's table, your issues don't matter anymore. Your baggage don't matter anymore. You are before the king and he's telling you from this day forward, you will no longer live in Lodeba. You will not eat that, you know, that which has been left over, but you will sit together with me. I will treat you like one of my children. Isn't that what Jesus did? He adopted us. He made us to be his own. When we were nothing, he took us in as his own children. And now when I look at you, it doesn't matter what you did and I don't need to go into your history, try to dig and find out who you were or what you did. All I need to know is, have you been washed by the precious blood of Jesus? And if you've been washed by that blood, it doesn't matter your color, it doesn't matter your tribe, it doesn't matter where you came from, as long as you are washed by the same blood, then you are my brother and you are my sister. And we can sit at the king's table together and dine together. 
because I was dropped, but his grace found me and brought me closer home. I need you to understand, children of God. I know you've ever been dropped, but you're still here. The fact that you're still here is a clear indication that God is not yet done with you. The fact that you're here is a clear indication that there is something that God wants to fulfill through you that he will not be able to do it if you die now. And so none of you is dying now. I pray long life over you. Like Miles Monroe said, so that when you die, you die empty. When you've been able to donate to the world that which Christ expected you to donate. Please turn to that neighbor and just tell that neighbor, I'm still here. Look at them. Even if they don't believe you, just tell them, you can see me physically. I'm still here and I'm going nowhere until God fulfills his purpose in my life. Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to thank you and honor you for the privilege and the opportunity that you've afforded us to come into your house at such a time as this and dine from the king's table. My Lord and my God, it's my prayer that the entrance of your word will shed light and bring understanding to the simple. That King of glory God, these words will become a reality in our lives and that the enemy will not have an opportunity to pull out anything from our lives in the name of Jesus. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for my dads and my moms in this place, for uncles and aunts who are in this place, for relatives, for cousins, brothers and sisters that are here. Lord, they are here because of what you have done in their lives. And I'm praying for them today that none of them will give up over one drop that none of them will allow their present situation or circumstance to define them or put a limitation on their lives, but that they shall be able to break through and break beyond barriers and be able to say, indeed, his grace kept me. His mercy kept me. Father, may you surround these your children with your love. Let them feel your love all around them because in all my life you've been faithful you've been faithful in every area of our lives even when we were sick in the hospital bed and thought that we would die your grace was enough your faithfulness had been realized and we are here to worship because of what you have done what you're about to do and what you will do and in that mood of prayer with every eye closed, you know you're in our midst. And you have never given your life to Jesus. And you'd like to give your life to Jesus this day. You can shoot up your hand wherever you are and I'll pray together with you. Even if you're in this house and you were born again, but because of the issues you went through in life, you backslid, your faith began to, to grow cold, and you're like, Lord, I want a renewal. I want to rededicate my life to Jesus. Would you shoot up your hand wherever you are? I'll pray with you right there. 
in the name of Jesus. I'll pray with you right there. Thank you for that hand. I'll pray with you right there in the name of Jesus. Right there. Is there anybody else? I'll pray with you right there. I want you just to repeat this prayer after me. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you. I acknowledge that I am a sinner. But this morning, willingly, I open up my heart. Jesus, come into my life. Make my heart a home. I have confessed with my mouth and believed in my heart that I am born again in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for that one man, Jehovah Lord, who's lifted up his hand. I'm praying, King of glory God, today that now unto him who is able to keep us from falling, may you be together with him, that you will strengthen him together with the rest of the congregation. Let them walk in the light of the revelation of the word they have received. May they walk in divine health. May they walk in divine protection. May they walk in divine providence. May they walk in divine favor. May they walk in divine wisdom. I bless them today with the blessings of Abraham, with the blessings of Isaac, and with the blessings of Jacob. For we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Somebody say, Amen. God bless you. Thank you for having me. Welcome, Pastor Mike. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate that word. Wasn't that a good word this morning? Man, I think we all got something out of that one. Thank you, Pastor Ken. Um, don't worry. I'm not going to try to re-preach his message. <laughs> I've heard people do that in the past. I'm not going to do that. So I just want to put one little nugget in your mind. Um, if you're available today, is there someone here, just kind of look around or think in your mind, look around in your mind. Is there someone here that maybe you could take out to lunch to encourage today? I just want to drop that last little nugget to you and, and bless you. Have a great week. Take a look at the bulletin. See all the stuff that's going on this week and this month and, and circle the stuff that you want to be part of. So God bless you. Have a great week. Amen.